This is the Art of Warcast, a podcast about Legend of the Five Rings, the living card game from Fantasy Flight Games. Your hosts are Tobin Opus, Carl Anderton, and Doug Keister. Episode 33, Parrots Invade Rokugan. All right, welcome. I'm Tobin Lopez. And I'm Tyler Parrott. And this is the Art of Warcast. And this time, we have Tyler Parrott. Actually, I have Tyler Parrott, because uh-huh. I'm in Minnesota for Magnum Opus, and I took the opportunity to uh, knock on this guy's door at like 9 o'clock at night and say, hey... You want to talk about L5R? And so we're oh here boy. sitting here. Don't I? <laughs> and Tyler, many of you probably already know, he is the lead designer on L5R. He was born in Oakland, California, which is cool because I'm a Raiders fan, so I love nice. uh, hearing that somebody's from Oakland because I have actually never been to Oakland. Uh, you have a degree uh, that focused, the liberal arts degree, that is, you studied biology, creative writing, which is uh, appropriate for this, and you also studied music, specifically vocalization, right? M- singing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Uh, you've played card games for 15 years, making me feel like an old man because I stopped playing cards, a lot of card games before you started, but that's okay. <laughs> you you played a lot of Magic, a lot of Star Wars, LCG, right? That's, you were big into that one, right? Uh, so my gaming history primarily revolves around Magic for the first many, many, many years, as is often the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... And then when I moved to uh, Massachusetts after I graduated from college, I joined the local LCG scene because I had picked up LCGs by that point. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, these are what I want to be playing. And the LCG they happened to be playing was Star Wars. And now I hadn't originally intended to get into this game. But once I started playing, it like completely changed my outlook on competitive games specifically. Excellent. Uh, And I really fell in love with it and became a content creator and a tournament competitor. I got second place at Worlds and then Fantastic. tried to do as much as I could to contribute both to the development through playtesting and to the community through creating content. And what kind website. of content did you create? So mostly I was an article writer. Okay. Uh, because right. writing is one of my fortes. Cool. And because in that community uh, there were a lot of people that were making videos Mm -hmm. and website or videos and podcasts okay but not a lot of people writing articles okay which is maybe surprising but worked out great for me yeah yeah, yeah. i could fulfill that niche yeah so and i hosted a website that i created to host that content and also to be kind of a landing page for so so you were hired as an intern by ffg you got or you were in. You started interning, right? You weren't officially an employee. You're an intern because interns go. have to be classified as the peons they are, right? Summer 2017, and you were hired in fairly short order in November 2017, just the six, seven, eight months later, whatever it might be, and you you got picked. You got tapped to take over L5R from Brad Andrews, who is not here. He Brad Brad had an ultra uh, late other commitment that he had to. He had to sink his teeth into, and so he couldn't be here, which is why we're going to make a little fun of him while so he, he while doesn't we're here. get to defend himself. All. <laughs> all right. So, anything else you want to add to uh, to kind of what the viewers might want to know of you? Um, I will hype the Lord of the Rings LCG for a hot second. After I was an intern, I got to work as a freelancer, uh, con- working with Caleb Grace on the Arid Mithrin cycle. All right. Which is the current cycle that. The first pack just came out. Yeah. So as the packs come out, you will see more of stuff that I worked on in that game. All right. Um, Very that cool. Was a lot of fun to design for because Lord of the Rings is a game that I really love. Lord of the Rings is a world that I really love. And the challenge of making a compelling encounter quest to go up against for a cooperative game mm-hmm. is a very different kind of thing than most other games that you play um, because usually it's like you make these cards and then they get used by players whereas this is like you have to design an ai that is fun to play against a lot of times and also is challenging but is challenging in a fun way and not in a not fun way and you have to be able to do all of that in such a way that it can automate itself and still feel like the same basic story even though every time you play it it's different okay all right yeah and and i played I think I've shared this with you. I played Lord of the Rings with my wife for we played uh, the first six or seven scenarios. There's one where you get the in the initial cycle, maybe it's second cycle in, where you have 
one of your you immediately you randomly choose a character that's of the six that's oh, not yes. in that gets captured right? that gets captured and we couldn't win we couldn't <laughs> win for all the tea in china like we did like maybe we, i ran through that like six times with her and it was so frustrating that that was the end of it. lord of the rings in our household <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no those, it's those, just something that happens right well and those random setups can be really punishing in individual gameplays yeah. yeah. Well, this was this was a two person, but it, even then, you know, she's not a long term. She, she can't sit still for an hour and a half hour, two two hours. So there's a certain amount of like I'm. There's a clock ticking yes. when I sit down to play with my wife, <laughs> and so that's a that's a bit of a challenge. And it was okay. Yeah. Uh, we we played we we now play Arkham Horror a bit. She's not as much into the mythos. She, she's like you and like many others. She's totally and completely into Lord of the Rings, read The Hobbit, you know, three or four times, read the entire Fellowship books three or four times. Uh, I've tried to read Fellowship three times, never, <laughs> ever finish it because I get trapped in, in the descriptions of the grass. Now, have you read uh, any H.P. Lovecraft? I have. Well, no, I've read I've read. Yeah, I've read a couple of Lovecraftian stuff, a couple yeah, of Lovecraftian, and I've read a couple of Lovecraftian-inspired short stories yes, by other authors. Now, that's very different. The actual Lovecraftian is more like Tolkien than Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a while since I did a did a Lovecraftian book or Lovecraftian story. Yeah, I got so, super into the Lovecraftian mythos in uh, in high school, and that actually kind of defined a lot of what my interests were because it set me down paths that would lead me towards a lot of Lovecraftian gaming that FFG makes. And so it's it's really interesting to look back and be like, yeah, no, like a lot of the things that I'm into right now, I got to through Lovecraft. Fantastic. What has been, so, so you worked on Lord of the Rings and now how, what is the working relationship between you and Brad and how do you work on L5R? Because my understanding is that you're working on L5R together, but you're very much the lead designer. Can you give a little bit about I do, how it is you, you two work together? I do basically all the nuts and bolts stuff. A lot of the final cards that you'll see coming down the pipeline are cards that either I had a heavy hand in or I designed entirely because usually the way our working relationship goes is that like when I'm beginning a project, I'll say, hey, Brad, I'm making this thing. Now you design the core set and you understand sort of the fundamentals of the game and the color pie i guess mm -hmm. is the best way to put it sort of the the distribution of mechanics based on clans he has a has a better understanding of that for now and also that he, takes some time to yeah. to really become a part of you right like just to really because there's so much nuance especially with yes. seven clans yes like yes. you have to get really sort of subtle about the ways that you make a card feel like it belongs to the clan that it's in mm -hmm. without make accident it's really easy to accidentally make a unicorn card in the lion faction, or vice versa. Okay. lion and unicorn are so similar. <laughs> right, right. In a lot of ways, but they're also different in a lot of ways. And you have to know where that line is so that when you make a military offensive dynasty character, you know what makes it a unicorn and not lion. And no, the answer is not to put cavalry on it. I know that makes it sound really easy. Cavalry or battle maiden, right? Yeah, that's not the answer. <laughs> um but to finish the question, I will go to Brad and say, "Hey, Brad, this is going to be this is what the next project product is going to be. Help me come up with ideas for either whether it's individual cards or or themes to to, to build a new deck out of, or like a new keyword mechanic or something that because he is really good at he has no filter." Okay. When, when he's in design mode. And he will just shout every bad idea during when, when you're initially <laughs> designing a set. And like 25 or 30% of those bad ideas are actually good ideas. Right. That you wouldn't have considered ahead of time. Because it's very easy to make like, oh, yeah, this is going to be, oh, yeah, this is going to be Adept of the Waves. But for Earth, cool, I took a known quantity and made it slightly different but so it's a different card it's very different to be like i'm going to create a card that makes you play only from the top of your deck and not from your hand what does that mean i don't know i just right. made it up but like those are the kinds of off the wall things or like what is a stronghold that never bows i don't know yeah what is the what is the ability if you're not bowing the stronghold right. what stronghold what does what ability does stronghold have right the, these ideas that like 
they sound like they shouldn't work within the rules, but if you get into them in a more granular way, you can kind of tweak them into something that does work within the rules and is interesting gameplay space that you wouldn't otherwise have gotten. Right. Um, and so he and I worked together on the initial designs of a lot of these sets. Okay. So like the upcoming Scorpion theme of being at six or six or fewer honor, mm-hmm. that was Brad saying, hey, this is a, a theme that I think that we should pursue to give them a new identity. And I was like, cool, that's a good idea. And I took his initial designs and then I went through the whole playtesting iteration process with them and we turned them into something that is actually going to play the way that we wanted and also is going to be fun and compelling, but not too powerful. Uh, that's good to hear. I, I'm a, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm on, on long-standing record as being a Scorpion hater, but <laughs> I am coming around. I am actually starting to consider even just putting Scorpion cards in, in a non-Scorpion deck, so I'm considering splashing Scorpion. <laughs> that's my favorite use of Scorpion cards. Now, of course, y- Carl is our resident scorpion player and he loves the suckers and um i'll give him that so i i don't hate people who play scorpion i just dislike scorpion itself actually obligated to not hate scorpion exactly right (laughs) exactly you got it so all right that's interesting so so brad is kind of the 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 initial seed that throws ideas at you and you decide which ones kind of stick to the wall which ones are the good ones and and then you kind of go forward from there and he's also sort of the the like sanity check mm-hmm. that like after I've been working on a project for two months or three months or maybe even more and I come back to Brad and I'm like hey Brad this is where we're at make sure I haven't gone wildly off course exactly. so yeah so he keeps you he keeps you sane he, he brings you back out of that hip deep swamp like, yeah there are definitely times where I've been like hey check out this sweet unicorn card I, I've made and he's like that's actually a phoenix card I'm like oh, oh <laughs> I see now uh, now that we know a little bit about how you work together when do you when do you start to fold in the storyline and the fiction and like there's there's as some named in, characters that as pop early up, as right? possible as early as possible all right um, so the the story that I like to tell people is that I went to school to get a biology degree to go into research and while I was there I was like this is a liberal arts college I'm also going to study the creative things that I like that being writing and music. All of my favorite classes were my English classes. All right. And all of my English classes I liked. I probably should have been an English major. (laughs) But I had already told myself beforehand that I would not get an English degree. Because what the heck do you do with an English degree? Yeah. Spoiler alert. Turns out you can actually do a lot with an English degree. (laughs) I was just... that's cool. I was just not not giving it the credit that it's due. (laughs) Um, I am very interested in stories. And I'm especially interested in stories that are told in unique, cool ways. Mm-hmm. I played Magic the Gathering for a long time. I play it occasionally now, but I'm still engaged in Magic the Gathering because I've been a fan of its storyline for a long time. And okay. I've seen the ups and downs that they've gone through in terms of making fiction and and cards mm-hmm. go together or wildly not go together. And the ability to have the cards feel like they go hand-in-hand with the fictions is something that I care a lot about. I also am really, really, really into the story we're telling. The yes. L5R story? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the L5R well, that story was a... that we're telling, I'm super excited about. And I love all the work that Katrina and the rest of the team has done with it. That's um, awesome. Because it's really cool to see the characters change in the story and then get to see them change in the card as a card game as well. Really? Oh, is that the, the characters are changing in the card game as well? Ooh. I mean, it's on the table. All right, it's on the table. You heard it here first, folks. That's cool. No, the I, I have to say the single. I think the single biggest piece of fiction that has gotten the most attention was the latest one, the online fiction. Oh where uh, and and y- y'all have heard us talk about this where Shoju is named as regent and we don't know what we don't know what Totori has actually written for the uh, I had exactly the same the reaction whole thing. when it I was, read it the it first was time amazing. and having to wait for that to come out <laughs> to all of you has been absolute torture Oh I bet I bet <laughs> oh my god yeah that was that was cuz I had people messaging me if you don't read this before your next recording you will uh, uh, regret it 
you will really regret it. You must read all the fiction, including the last one, before you guys record next. So I mean, all three of us started reading furiously. I guess you could skip to the last one, but really, what's the fun in that? Oh, no, it was, it. it's, it, and we talked about this on a couple cups couple casts ago a couple episodes ago that it's really seems to come together as a whole cloth now uh, i read professionally i write professionally i'm i'm a pretty harsh critic when it comes to reading uh, and and i'm a harsher critic i think than most folks um so i'm a little hard on the on the on the quality of the writing and although i enjoy it it's there's still something missing and maybe it's and 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 i'll take a part of that right i i own a bit of that but this last, this last slew of stuff, maybe that last half of the elemental cycle, both in the packs and the online fiction that was going with the packs, it got me, right? I, I read it in an afternoon, and it really did get to me. And, so. and honestly, like, all of the writers that we've been working with are experienced writers, but somehow they're still getting better. It's it's fantastic. I'm so excited. That's great. That's great to hear. We, we I think everybody looks forward to it. Um, Everybody has to keep getting better. <laughs> now, uh, there has been a lot of discussion. Like you released the, the you did the secondary roles, yes. right? We now we ha- everybody has two now. Even though Crab has, is like masters of Earth, even though God, hey man, hey man, that's what happens. <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's what happens. Ask other crowd, yeah. ask other crowd players, I yeah. guess. Yeah, I, someone someone has figured tried to figure out what happened, and the the Imperial Advisor crew. They think they nailed it down. Kind of, I've lost track of that. I don't have, I don't it's, have the it's so sense hard for those details because there was a lot of flux with what roles meant and how they worked right. throughout the course of the Cote series. And so, by the time it was finalized, how they would work and what they would look like and what they would mean in terms of both people knowing how long they would be legal for and how they would be decided. The mm-hmm. secondary roles, I mean. Yeah. And also what elementally locked cards existed, right? Because yeah. those yeah. all came out in the middle of the Cote series. All of those sort of coalesced into a clear picture at the end of the Cote series after a bunch of clans had the ability to change course. And I am not surprised that one of the clans was unable to come together in a concerted way to shift course in a single direction because it's really hard when you have already my my understanding and take this with a grain of salt because mm-hmm. I don't have any numbers this is just me kind of speculating is that crab had such a great role already with keeper of earth that they didn't really have a clear need for a second one so people just kind of voted for whatever they wanted throughout the course of the year okay and there wasn't like one role that they were all definitely gonna get right and so so then a fight on came on too late (laughs) basically yes but also that when the votes were cast at the end by the people that did know what was going on like a few accidental votes would matter a lot right yeah 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 yeah. because you didn't have the because like and the way the choice it was a kind of a drafted choice too right and that i mean right and that that was the other thing that that no one really um could plan for which was intentional but like you had the unicorn community really rally around Keeper of Fire, and you had the Phoenix community really rally around, what do they get, Seeker of Air or Keeper of Air or something of Air? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seeker um, of Air, I think. Yeah. But you didn't see that with, like, the Scorpion Clan and the Lion Clan and the Crab Clan, and it worked out for some of them, and it worked out not so well. For some right. Well, <laughs> no one got Seeker of Fire, which was is largely seen to be the number one role. my mind. Yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> I don't know. It's exciting. So now, le- now that leads us to the next question, yes. which is roll locked cards and role uh, role selection. So the, see, the, so these roles are gonna each role is gonna last eight months. Yes. So it's gonna switch. So every four months, you're gonna have a different set of roles, and it's it's it hasn't been made clear. And maybe you can do that now. Maybe you can't about whether like if if the elemental challenges, if the first wave of elemental championships, crab. For instance, pick Seeker Fire. Mm-hmm. Can they pick Seeker Fire for their next role, or do they have to pick something else? So the way that works is that a clan will have a role. Okay. And then they will have another role. Right. And then the first role will go away. For picking their third role, mm-hmm. all nine roles that they do not already have are on the table. So it is theoretically possible for a clan 
to keep the same role pair. Okay. Right. To go from world's role, keeper of fire, uh, elemental champions one, they pick seeker of water, and then elemental champions two, they pick keeper of fire again. Okay. That is possible. That is possible. All um, right. I'll do a short spiel about roles real quick to sort of give a, a, a TLDR of my thoughts on the matter because I'm sure a lot of people want to hear it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. So the, the TLDR with roles is L5R is a game of experimentation, fundamentally. When we initially implemented the role system, the intent was to have a small subsection of the card pool be elementally locked to these roles, which would then change from year to year. The intent, of course, being that players could vote on the thing, and then based on player selection, the actual card pools for each clan change from time from year to year. Okay. Yeah, I'll follow you. What we got pretty early on in the process was that a year is way too long because a lot of products come out throughout the year and if people don't feel like they have the ability to react to those products coming out by selecting a new role, then they then there's a lot of bad feelings of being locked into this thing that was decided by someone 10 months ago. Right. Um, that was the reason behind changing to three role selections a year. Okay. It was one of the one of them was to speed up the turnaround. As right. It were. Well, that's that's certainly going to do that. I mean, when when we read about this, I was amazed because if you pair that quarter, well, not quarterly, but every four months, every four months. that iteration of roles, whether or not you change it, and I think. But you add to that the new cards coming out, which can all of a sudden now Seeker Fire is right now the most popular one because Feast or Famine is a thing, right? Yes. So it, as long as Feast or Famine is a thing, Seeker Fire is going to be a, a, a really go-to role. Now, if Feast or Famine ever doesn't become a thing, banned. <laughs> or no, actually, no. I know FFG doesn't ban cards. They remove cards. A la Netrunner. Yes, right? <laughs> banning isn't the verb that's used. It's remove. We, we prefer to remove our cards with the possibility of returning them later. Exactly. But anyhow, so Feast of Famine is strong. Yes. And But as, as cards come out, another role might be stronger. So then you're going to incentivize Let's say hypothetically that. we get a water province that's more busted than Feast of Famine. No, no, no. I swear <laughs> I won't do that to you guys. Flooded Waste is pretty good. Flooded I will say Flooded Waste is pretty good. Talking about not quite busted water provinces. Anyhow, that's not so. Busted. No, no, it's, it's really not busted, good. but it's really good. It gets rid of ready for battles very quickly <laughs> if you're playing a line player. But I digress. So anyhow, you have these roles being chosen and you have these cards being released. So all of a sudden, the incentive, the incentive is a dynamic thing, right? Yes. And that was that's the other element. So that's very it. exciting. Yes, that's the other element of it is when you have three role choices a year, something that is valuable in the first quarter of the year can suddenly become less valuable uh, in the latter quarter of the year because new cards have come out with new role locks that suddenly change your evaluation of various roles. And now having role locked cards also siloed into clans, now we're keeping it conflict only because, uh, for the time being, because, oh man, that would get really complex really fast if we didn't. Well, there are a couple, right? There's a Crisis Breaker, which sure. is Keeper but locked, and then keeper, there's a... Uh... Keeper Seeker locked on Dynasty is very different than... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Element yeah. locked? Oh, oh yeah. That element be... locked on Dynasty. Mean, oh, yeah. I've considered Oof. it, but it's scary. <laughs> <laughs> By putting elemental locked cards into specific clans natively, it means that certain clans, like, there isn't the... Not everyone has the same evaluation of all the roles, right? Everyone likes Seeker of Fire. Sure. Not everybody likes Seeker of Water or Keeper of Water, mm -hmm. but Crab sure does. Yeah. Unicorn sure does. Yeah. We wouldn't and, I wouldn't mind Keeper Water, and Seeker Water. Anyway. Anyone who has a water role can splash the good unicorn or crab water cards. Mm -hmm. But the crab and unicorn are gonna be more incentivized to go for those roles because they don't have to splash them, they just get them for free. Mm -hmm. So has the has the rule has besides it being longer than a year? Mm-hmm. Has designing for roles empowered you as a designer, or have you felt constrained by the idea that you've got to introduce some role locking cards? And you're like, eh. or are you like excited by the idea of designing, you know, a half dozen role locked cards 
for each product, for each cycle, whatever it might be. The roll locking doesn't influence me during the design process much. It does the very first time I put the words air roll only on the card. When I do that, then the entire identity of the card changes. But once you start playing with it and playtesting with it, then it doesn't really feel any different than any other card in the same way that. So I like to think about roll locking as kind of an extension, a parallel extension of the, the clan faction system, the whatever color analogy mm -hmm. that you're going to use for divvying up abilities in a game, right? Yeah. Every game has factions, whatever right. that looks like, whether it's colors or great houses or clans or whatever. If I have, if I print a, let's take Kachiko for example. Bayushi Kachiko is <laughs> Bayushi Kachiko is a Scorpion Clan card that only the Scorpion Clan can take. That means that one of seven clans can play Bayushi Kachiko. If I make a Air roll only crane card, Soul Beyond Reproach. Two clans out of seven can take that card. That card is more accessible, is twice as accessible as Bayushi Kachiko. Now, obviously, there are different elements to it. It is less, it is much less available than, say, Ready for Battle, which is a card that theoretically seven clans can take. Okay. Right? right. So it's less available than that, but more available than this Bayushi Kachiko. So it's just another, like, I want the air cards to have a little bit of an identity. Not so much that, like, every air deck looks the same, but, like, I want an air roll deck to feel different than a water roll deck to feel different from a fire roll deck. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. In I the same it. way that I want a phoenix deck to be different from a dragon, from a, from a scorpion, whatever. And the, but the really compelling part of that has almost nothing to do with design, by intent, which is that when I said two players, two different clans can take Soul Beyond Approach, the two clans that can take that card were decided by the players because they got to choose which roles were available to which clans. Right. Okay. And so then that can change. Yeah, yeah. And and, and you can, so okay, that's a power card that we need to keep, or that's a card that now, given the cards that we know are coming up, mm -hmm. that's one that we can let go. Yes. Um, Pun not intended, but, you know, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you can't let go of Soul Beyond Approach. It's an event. That's true. That's um, true. To double back real quick and finish my thought on rolls before I forget it. I said rolls were experimental because L5R is a kind of experimental game. What I mean by that is it was an intentional choice to, A, let the clans potentially get the same role during the elemental championships and B it was intentional that a clan could theoretically choose to retain the same pair of roles. Right. When I explained earlier. Right, right, right. That is an experiment. I think that that may, will make for a better game experience because I'm counting on new role locked cards to come out in the future, which will then change people's opinions throughout the series season so that people are encouraged to experiment with new roles and not just choose the same ones that they've already had. Right. Because that would seem boring to me. The thing that I keep thinking about is living card game. Yes. Right. And how over the over the long uh, storied history of Netrunner and the shorter history of Conquest and the, the growing history of L5R, that there was this iteration as the game grew, Wizard and Netrunner was uh, like just the weakest one of the weakest mm -hmm. ideas ever right and that by but but year four four and a half in he's insanely powerful he's everywhere yeah. right and so the living card game evolves and it is manipulated by design literally but one of the other factors that that l5r has going for it more so than the other games mm -hmm. is this idea of role and yes. we are going to it's yes it's quote-unquote artificial but it's artificial for a purpose of of introducing new and exciting and maybe not so exciting or at least testing environments experimental environments as you're saying into the game so it's, that people can experience it from a different point of view it's it's there to to give us a way by which we can shift the card pool without releasing any new cards which sounds kind of lame when you say it but is actually really fundamentally like 
different from every other game because it always feels intrusive when a card gets banned, eroded, or restricted. Now, yeah, whether or not yeah, whether or not adding a restricted list or banning a card or in, in, in introducing errata, whether or not that makes the game better, and obviously I'm, I would only want to do that if I really, really strongly felt that it would make the game better, even if it's making the game a more enjoyable experience, it feels like an arbitrary, like somebody walked by and stuck their finger in your pie. You can't use this piece now. Right. Um, whereas when all of the restrictions are printed on the cards and printed in the rule book, it doesn't feel like somebody came by and stuck their finger in the pie. It's that you, you took out your pie and then this slice was just a different flavor for some reason and you couldn't figure out why because it was there to begin with. And it feels like it was part of the game, part of the whole game, rather than some change that was thrown in later. Almost every other game, if not every other game, has to rely on something like a restricted list or a ban list or whatever if they want to adjust the card pool without introducing new cards. I guess you could like right. call rotation that, right. like, but that's kind of like banning a whole set. Right, um, right. Whereas we have the ability to... Uh, and as we've shown, when we change the roles schedule from once a year to three times a year, we have the ability to introduce changes to the card pool at times that are not synchronized with the card release. And even more exciting to that is we have the ability to let the players decide what those changes will be. Yeah. And now, and now mm -hmm. there's going to be some drama. Yeah. <laughs> players are not always going to agree with each other, but that's part of the fun. Like... The fact that Brad Eamon tried to sabotage Scorpion and really actually succeeded, even though he didn't win Scorpion. He didn't do it himself, yeah. He convinced um, others to do so. But the fact that that drama existed was, like, totally what we were looking for. That's awesome. And the fact that you had an entire clan on Discord and hopefully beyond Discord, but as far as I know, it was just Discord, rallying around, make sure Unicorn gets Keeper of Fire. The fact that you had an entire community working together towards this common goal that they could achieve as a group, but only as a group. No individual could make that make that happen. Right. Which is another reason why we wanted to implement it through the elemental championships rather than like making it some specific cote, some winner gets to choose, mm -hmm. right? The fact that we have well, that's already in part for worlds, right? In place for worlds, you have that so, one player. Yes, because we gets did to do that. We we didn't. We still wanted that. Some of that drama, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> and also, um, worlds is such a big event, and we want it to feel kind of special and unique. So, m having that as a one person's prize, mm -hmm. even if you're the the one unicorn at the bottom. They're not going to be at the bottom anymore. Don't worry. Uh, yeah, um, I, I really doubt it. I played too many of them. <laughs> I know they're not going to be at the but, bottom. Crab might. <laughs> but the fact that even the even the weakest clan, you still have something to aspire to, gives you something to. Well, okay. So I just said it. Even the weakest clan, you have something to aspire to, and that is you get to choose your role for your clan. But that's not the only way it's going to work because for the rest of the player base that can't attend worlds, whether because they can't get an invite or they don't have the money or they don't have the time they still have the ability to participate in this element of the game by going to their elemental championships yeah now does the idea that two out of the three roles the role choices each year um and it and it's a collective choice mm -hmm. and it can be repeated it's not drafted yes. it can be repeated it seems to me at least at least at first blush that it kind of diminishes the world's choice a little bit, the impact of that choice of that individual at worlds. Um, I hope I hope that's not how it is going to be seen. Um, that's not certainly not how I think of it, because the truth of the matter is, the world's choice is as important as both of the other choices. Mm -hmm. The fact that it's drafted is a little bit unique. Um, certainly, we were looking at the possibility of having the roles be drafted in the elemental championships as well. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, I wanted to, because it was something that was going to be voted on, a lot of people felt a little 
sour about the fact that they could vote for this role that they really wanted, but then due to some other extenuating circumstance, some other clan snags it first and then they're just out of luck for the thing that they wanted. Uh, Um, Okay. Right? Because like, it's different when you have seven people choosing because then there can be politics between those seven people. The people that vote for the elemental championships roles are never going to interact with the other people that vote on the elemental championships roles except the ones who are at their store at the same time on that same day, right? Right. And so if a bunch of people want to be able to play keeper cards yeah or want to play seeker cards me um or want to play I don't know that I want to play seeker cards I, I think I want to just play water cards <laughs> right that's what I mean like so if if you really want to play keeper cards and or you really want to play water cards you should be able to vote for keeper and for water and then if enough people vote for keeper and for water then congratulations your clan gets keeper of water yay um like I said it's an experiment but it's one that I'm excited about and i feel really passionate i feel very strongly that this is the right decision yeah and 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 from what you've said here tonight that that one year that plan for one year was at one point it was obvious that that was too too long yeah and you changed it that when i say you i mean you and the royal you of ffg right and instead of the royal we it's the royal you (laughs) and so as a result so you know, sometime down the road, if this isn't quite working the way you had envisioned, and I, you're all, y'all, I've I've worked with a lot of people at FFG lately. I've I, I'm working in magnum opus, and I'm working 13-hour days with all these folks, all these great folks at your company, and there are people that want to do right by the games and do right by the game communities, and. It sometimes it takes some time to figure out if what you're doing is the right is the best way to do it. But you, I see course corrections. Yes. Right. And, and that's, so that's the thing is like that's a I, that's a good thing to see. I feel really excited and enthusiastic about the role, the the way that we've done roles for 2019. But you know what? If we get feedback that we're not 100% on the right course, and we can course adjust to more to a better course. Mm-hmm. Based on that feedback, absolutely. I'm always listening. All right. Very cool. Very yeah. And I always get that impression, right? A lot of the a lot of the things that's happened at Magnum Opus the last couple of days is people come up and say, Hey, you know, this is working well. This is this has been great. This has been wonderful. Now it's a whole different beast, right? We're looking of at course. the end of Never. It's kind of a bittersweet <laughs> thing. But I saw that last year at Worlds. Yeah. Like I want to give you feedback. Yeah. And 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 FFG is there to listen. Yeah. And I sincerely believe that everybody there is trying to do their best by the entities and the forces at work. So, and, that, and that's cool. Uh, I don't know that I could have said that 15, 20 years ago about the game companies. But then again, I didn't I have that exposure. I, I wasn't involved 15 to 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that is true. That is true. Now, you and I have talked. We, we talked at Gen Con a little bit, well, maybe more than a little bit. Yeah. So... Uh, one of the things we talked about was dueling, and you yes. actually talked to Trevor Holmes about dueling, yes. and that seems like the missing. That, that's that's, and I, maybe I'm trying to pry you for a little information here, of but I, of course you're not. Yeah, of course I am because I have listeners, so I, <laughs> I, I want them. I want them to get something out well, of this, well, right? At least and, he admits it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that feels like like insult to injury. Sure. A crane card that takes advantage of having won a duel. If you're a duelist. If you're a duelist. And then you get to dishonor them. Yay. But then there's but there's the not duel. a lot of duels happening. So that that seems like it's ripe for development space, for design space. It is. Um, it is simultaneously very... It is simultaneously something that we can do a lot with and we can do very little with. And it is also something that is very difficult to find a nice middle ground yeah i mean forgive the pun but it's just it seems like it's a knife's edge i mean look at policy debate yes it is right absolutely dueling was intentionally in the same way that we we intentionally went super duper light on the honor victory condition Mm -hmm. out of the corset Mm -hmm. we we equally went super light on dueling as a mechanic out of the corset because it was this weird new thing that like 
70% of the time had this great play experience and 30% of the time had this really, really negative play experience. And that's the kind of thing that you kind of want to do a little bit at a time until you kind of figure out what you're doing and then maybe you can do it, right? I like to think that Kakita Kazin is the most intriguing and exciting and cool duel in the core set. And policy debate is dueling when it was just, oh no, we just went way off course. Yeah. And just went into into scary zone. Bizarro scary Bizarro land. scary land. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Because it's such a subtle mechanic that it's really hard to figure out what it's actually going to look like when you're playtesting a core set with a limited number of people over a limited amount of time and then you release it to the public and you have 600 million thousand times more people playing 600 million thousand times more games yeah and then yeah, you can for sure. kind of get a better idea of what dueling looks like and um what works and what doesn't and then because you've only done a little bit there's only a little bit that doesn't work and you can put the one card on the restricted list and, and then <laughs> keep an eye on the other card that's a problem and then the rest of them are fine and then once you've kind of gauged the scales of dueling you can be like this works this doesn't let's do more of this um hold on to your butts <laughs> hold on all right all right hold on to our butts all right now i asked hypothetically of uh -oh. those on our discord channel uh -oh. i asked hypothetically what would they ask of a, of the designers if I had the chance to hypothetically interview the designers, oh, well, so since you're only ever <laughs> since you're only ever going to hypothetically interview them, exactly, I guess you can say whatever you want, exactly, and I, I can hypothetically answer. <laughs> so one of the one of the questions is about attachment control and attachments and attachment control because let go is so prevalent, and so yes. it really it really dissuades us players from playing two cost attachments like that two cost fate is a very big deal in this game each fate is a very big deal in this game and to have these nice these are powerful two cost attachments that can go away with a single event that yeah. seems to be splashed and, in and just about every deck i think this is more important is the fact that right now there are three cards technically four but let's be realistic there's three cards that can deal with attachments. Mia Mystic, which everybody has. There's Let Go, which Dragon has. And there's Calling in Favors, which Scorpion has. Right. We won't deal with Karate District because that's like weird. Because it's a half attachment control. It only grabs attachments so that, like, that are on someone else's characters that are theirs. It doesn't grab Cloud the Mind. It doesn't take care of Cloud the Mind. And right? it also is a Limit One Protect Dynasty card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. also like when it shows up, it can completely dominate a game against some factions and be worthless against others, blah, blah, blah. Right, yeah, yeah. So we're not going to worry about that. I'm sure I just made a lot of it. A lot of <laughs> yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I was saying. Oh, we're not going to worry about that limit one per deck thing. Nah, whatever. Um, <laughs> don't worry. I, 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 I know what's going on with limit one for deck holdings. I'm just not talking about it right now. The problem to my mind is that if you feel like attachments are a problem, and right now, absolutely people feel like attachments are a problem spyglasses are really good talismans are really good calling in favors are really good everything that dragon does is really good all of these things are powerful attachments that if you can't interact with if they just live on a character forever you're just gonna lose like how do you beat talisman if you can't deal with that attachment in yeah. some way reprieve like, it's, it's, you know sure and but it's like it's not even that like I couldn't in this game. It's like if I build my deck and I know my deck has no way to deal with that talisman, then as soon as they play it, I'm just like, well, great. Yeah, and my attitude there is like now I have to take care of the character. Now how do I get rid of the character so the attachment goes away? And that can be much harder. Much harder. Because yeah. the fate system discourages. Or it, it, kill. In, And in some cases it can be easier, but in many it's harder. Yeah. Right. So what that means is there's a strong pressure right now for players to put tools into their decks to deal with attachments. While Mia Mystic is intentionally weaker than all the other attachment control because it's neutral, everyone, not everyone, a lot of people that I've talked to generally agree that Mia Mystic is not enough, which means that your only options are to splash Dragon or Scorpion. 
And, well, let go is most of the time better than calling in favors. So they'll, And the dragon cards are more universally valuable. Mm-hmm. So what that leads to is a lot of people... Hawk tattoo. <coughs> Hawk tattoo. Uh, uh, just saying. Uh, tattooed Wanderer. Uh, <laughs> Mirror Modus Fury. Like, that's true. Yeah, there are so true. many good cards out of dragon. What that means is that not only does everyone have attachment control because they needed attachment control to deal with the powerful attachments, the attachment control that they chose was also the best attachment control in the game. It's not like if I was a crab player and I was like, oh man, I need something to get rid of that attachment. Let me just go grab my like crab card. That's worse than let go, but at least it exists. If that were the case and crab could go get some like other way or like a fire elemental guard out of Phoenix, right? Like technically that does its thing. I'm aware that it's maybe weaker than it's weak enough that it um, doesn't sort of fulfill this intent of like, well, it's weaker than let go. So you don't have to splash dragon for let go. Right. But let's say that fire elemental guard was a little bit stronger and people were playing it in their decks anyway then they wouldn't feel like they had to splash dragon for let go. Therefore, they're not playing let go. And now I'm sitting here with my two cost attachment and I'm like, well, I know he's not splashing dragon, so I can put this down. And my opponent does have the means to deal with it, but it's not a zero cost event with no limitations. Right. It has some other hoops or some other cost, Um, which is a long-winded way of saying more attachment control will come. And my hope is that with more variety of ways of attachment control existing less people will be running let go specifically and more flashy and expensive attachments will become viable now because you have the immersion because you have this that ever so slight diversity in attachment control you have stuff that isn't quite as as efficient, and because, so cause the that's risk the thing, right? of, of doing two is because uh, that's the thing, two. right? People don't play two cost attachments, not because two cost attachments are like weak or anything, or that let go is particularly like good. Let go is just it's just forged edict, but for attachments. The thing is, they're they're not playing it because it discards a card. They're playing it because for zero, I can get rid of your two or three fate card. Right. Right. In a world where hypothetical crab thing that gets rid of attachments but costs more than zero fate and i don't know maybe it does something else so that it's worth more than zero fate but it also happens to get rid of attachments like that's a card that people will play on its own merits and then it can interact with the attachments but the actual attachment part of it is not as efficient as let go is mm-hmm. so i may have invested two fate in my attachment and you may have killed it but you had to spend more than zero fate to do it Right. So it feels better and, and not quite so unreasonable. Yeah. yeah. That okay. said. Okay, I get that. I get that. that. Said, I, follow, I follow that. That said, Togashi Kazue and Sashimono and cards like that are really good. Yeah. So Kazue like, is, Kazue is so insane. Like, yeah. So, like, expensive attachments are always going to be a bit of a risk because the power level necessitates that. An unmatched Kazue is probably going to win you all your games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, if, if, in a world in which there was z- no attachment control, I honestly think Togashi Kazue would be in every deck that, they, that people could fit it into. Right. But, of course, that world doesn't exist, so mm-hmm. Togashi Kazue barely gets played. Yeah. Well, cool. And, and so we have another, uh, another listener here asking about... Um, what are your favorite game mechanics? Where do you, where what? And I might change this a little bit to say, sure. which ones are you the most excited about? At the, maybe the design space, the design stage, and then release stage. Like, are are we talking about game mechanics or L five R game mechanics? L five. I don't know. Actually, you, you <laughs> might like. What are the game mechanics? Uh, let's 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 minimize it to L five R. Okay. Let's minimize it to L five R. Because like Focus I could start talking that. about how much I love comeback mechanics, but like maybe that's not what they want to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the comeback mechanics in L five R, the the structure of the game is there for the comeback. I mean, that's I've been the victim of that. That's many a times. big part of what I love so much about the fate system, is that yeah. it makes it so difficult for someone who's ahead to stay ahead. Um, now. Resolving Rings is a snowball mechanic in the same way that maybe the command system was in Elf, in uh, Conquest, right? Mm-hmm. Where if you won a lot of command, you got a lot of resources you could use to keep winning command and keep winning battles, right? Yes. Um, in that same way, 
if I resolve a bunch of rings, it's, I'm going to put you in a disadvantage, and then you won't be able to resolve rings against me, so I'll keep resolving rings, blah, blah, blah. So resolving rings is inherently a snowball mechanic. But the fate mechanic is the opposite, because if I have a better board state than you, I have to spend more fate every turn to keep them all around. Right. Which is really cool, because, and this is something that drew me to the Star Wars LCG, which was the idea that, like, I could have this sweet turn where I played a bunch of stuff and I did all my things and I was really successful at all my stuff and I put myself ahead of you and then you got to take your turn and you played a bunch <laughs> of things and, and, and did a bunch of stuff and maybe killed half my board and then now you're ahead of me and we just do this back and forth of like I get to do all my sweet things and now I'm in the lead but I know that as soon as you start doing stuff like there is no way for me to get so far ahead of you that you can never come back and and that's that's there are very few opportunities when I've been playing L five R where I honestly say yeah I'm good that's that I yeah. I I I got nothing and I like and you know where he's so far ahead, you look down and you've been playing for thirty minutes and you look down and you're like oh I haven't broken a single thing and he's broken three of mine I have four cards he's got fourteen he's got six fade I've got one mm-hmm. he's got fourteen honor I've got six all right he's winning on every level but I can still play the game. You, you, yeah, you can still play. You can still keep playing. It's going to be a ro- hard row. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a hard hard road to, yeah. to, to get through, but you can still keep playing. And before people you know, jump on me, yeah, yeah, I know there's a couple cards uh, that take away from that. <laughs> Feast or Famine. <laughs> yes, um, for sure. <laughs> I am watching it very closely. All right, and that goes to another question that I had for you, which is how close to the pulse of the game uh, you know how how often do you take the pulse of the game? Are you there? Well, I listen to uh, I think four podcasts on a weekly basis. Oh wow! Okay, and lurk in the Discord channel and occasionally <laughs> put little reactions on things that people write. Okay, which they cool. They may, may not even notice. I don't know. I right. So like, you do listen to you. You're you've got your uh, ear um, to the rail, as it were. I keep an eye on Imperial the the articles of Imperial Advisor because I think there's merit there. It's more statistics, yeah, which is valuable in its own right. But like, that's not something that you would just go read. That's like something I would go to if I wanted to look up the statistics of the game. All right, um, there's some props for IA. Those guys are those guys are really strong in that. Honestly, department. like, they are doing with L5R what I always aspired to do with Star Wars LCG, but the community was neither big enough nor was my ability as a single person who could only attend occasional events. Yeah. Like I just didn't have the like manpower, to right? Right. Actually, get all the deck lists, get all the win rates, process who was winning. No, and that and that takes a lot decks. of time and a lot right? of a lot like, of ability. And I'm just so I'm very proud of them for doing that because it's a lot of work and it's really cool to see. And That's I think awesome. It adds a lot to the community and honestly, like even though I know that they are imperfect data, they're still data and they still are valuable. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, I, I've I've been hanging out with organized play guys for the last, <laughs> you know, three, two days, two and a half days. For the, for the last how and, many hours? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I've tried to like pull some organized play stuff out of them for mm-hmm. regarding the L5R, and of course, as as they are want to do, as L50s want to do, they're mum on the topic. But a lot of folks, and and I keep going over this myself. And I know you guys have some input into the OP mm-hmm. and the tiebreak. Specifically, I'm talking about tiebreak uh-huh. rules, yes. right? Like, that just seems like a quagmire with the way the game is set up to be as rich and as robust as it is. To bring it to a conclusion within five minutes, I'm some going, someone artificially going, time is time is up. up. Finish it up in five minutes, and you're like, wait, I've just been intensely dueling this person. Yeah. For sixty of those, sixty of the past minutes, and I, how am I supposed to do this, right? And I used to say, "Well, you just kind of finish up." But then I had the experience of my yeah. own at Gen Con round three, where I'm playing a guy who ended up being a gentleman from my hometown, Tucson, and he and I went twenty minutes on like One two, two conflicts. Two conflicts. Yeah, that was it. it happens, <laughs> and it was just like totally. Um, uh, I cannot speak to it. As much as I know you would like me to. Yeah. I can say that uh, we have discussed it many times and we are working on it. And there is a better system that is coming. Okay. 
the thing is, of course, implementation. Right. Um, and, and timing of implementation. We, right. We don't want to implement even a better system in the wrong way or at the wrong time. Right. And while, of course, sooner is always better, sooner but, slight, sooner but wrong is worse than later but better. Right. Right. Okay. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. And then, really, one other question for me is... Because, to say one more thing. Oh, sure, sure. There are a lot of tournaments that happen for L5R that are run by different people with different amounts of player count and getting something that works for... Getting something that has the potential to work for all of them is really hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, 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 it's, and it's tough. You know, the floor rules for Netrunner came out two and a half years into its life yeah because like you right know, so we're still fairly young here now ffgop has learned from those floor yeah. rules and uh, we've looked at them quite a few times <laughs> in the last couple of days so i know that they help because yeah. even even a person who knows the rules very well still has still. to have a document to refer to yes. in yeah, order to make that consistent decision because while no one expects the same set of tournament guidelines to work for eight players at a game store on a Tuesday night to be the same f tournament guidelines that will work for 300 people at Worlds over three days, they at least need to look like each other. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For those two events. There has to be a certain set of expectations. So they feel like they're the same. Similar game. expectations. Yeah, for sure. All right. So you told us to hold on to our butts, right? So oh, you've told us a couple oh, things. Geez. Let but, me take my glasses off. Yeah. <laughs> but I am going to ask you this, because I, I, it's my job as a caster to do this, which is what effect or what, what something is coming in the game that you can tell us about, it, however obliquely you might be able to tell us about it. So you might have to give that some thought. Specifically, I know our, our listeners would like to hear, and I'll do this in my NPR voice, would like, <laughs> specifically our listeners would like to hear about the special product. <laughs> but I, I have a feeling that's not going to come. <laughs> I bet they would. <laughs> uh, come back to me in a month. All um, right. <laughs> you won't get much out of me, but I will say this much. If you've been paying close attention to the fictions then there are some very exciting names who are coming sooner than you think. Ooh. That'll mean more to old L5R people than it does to me, but yeah. that sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it will definitely mean more to existing or er, longtime L5R players. All right, cool, cool. Well, thank you very much, Tyler. Now, Brad didn't join us. You, you've, made, you've opened your home, so we're sitting here. We're outside. We're hanging out in the Minnesota September, which isn't nearly as cold as Minnesota November. Oh, no. It's actually uh, quite nice. <laughs> yeah, it is quite nice. But, but thank you very much. Is there anything else you'd like to say? I'll say I am very excited uh, about where we're going, about what L5R is and what its future is. I think it has a, a long, bright future that I think the community is going to be very excited for. And don't you worry. I will be agonizing over every large or small opinion you have. Doesn't mean I'm going to, you know, immediately enact on it, but I'm going to at least <laughs> listen to it. So You'll at least if consider you have, it. I'm always open to feedback. All right. I'm, I'm always... That's great. I, I care a lot about the community that plays this game because I think it's a great game. I think it's a great community, and I want this to be the greatest card game of... It's time. That's a, that's a mighty high aspiration. Yeah, and and that's and good. Like you know, I'm not. Gonna, but it's good to have higher I'm aspirations than the low ones, right? I'm not going to defeat magic, but like, <laughs> uh, I want this to be as fulfilling as it possibly can be for as many people as it can be. And I think that in the in the big crunchy competitive game space, it is really well positioned to be that for a lot of people. Wonderful. And so. I would agree. Anything, any, would you agree. know, anything that that I can do to make it a better game, I am going to do, and I'm excited. Well, that's great future. to hear, Tyler. Great to hear. Thank you very much. If you would like to join the discussion, 
have ideas for future episodes, feedback, or questions, you can contact us at artofwarcast at gmail.com, via Twitter at artofwarcast, via Facebook, or leave a comment in the episode's comments section. Please review us on iTunes. It helps other Rokugani find us. Thanks for listening, and remember, Honor is the deadliest weapon. weapon.